0: good morning morning. let's open to the book of job just before the book of psalms and i know some of you are wondering what are we doing in the book of job we were just in the book of kings well i'll tell you in just a minute job chapter one There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. I think most of us here are probably familiar with the book of Job. And if you uh, uh, look up any commentaries or anything written about the book of Job, typically they say something like, yeah, the book of Job is... Uh, about the uh, the question why do the righteous suffer right did you know that that's not what the book is about it asks the question but really it never answers it and people are surprised when they hear that Uh, god gives us the circumstances behind this incredible trial that this man went through and his wife but uh, he never really gives us the reason that's very important and we'll see that when we get into it Um, so but let's go ahead since we've raised that question why do the righteous suffer you know why do we ask that question Maybe we want to start there. The reason we ask it is because uh, people think that, hey, if if uh, we know God and God is going to take care of us the way we think He should, then we should never suffer. It, it, life should be a bed of roses, right? Isn't that correct? You know, that's that's where that thinking comes from, and so when people who who know God have hard times. The question is asked, you know, boy, did God slip up? Why is that person who loves God going through hard times? Well, we can answer that question. We have the New Testament, which really has a lot more on the subject than the Old Testament. First of all, uh, the, uh, the righteous suffer sometimes because of their own folly. It's, it's their own fault. They made a bad decision, a bad choice. Sin, isn't that correct? You know, we're not spared from making bad decisions and suffering from it. Secondly, we know uh, from Hebrews 12 and other places that sometimes we suffer because God is disciplining us. Okay? Finally, um, and this is where the book of Job fits in, the righteous suffer often because God permits a trial to come into their life in order to test their faith. Now, uh, the teaching on this really is clearer in the New Testament than it is in the Old, for example, the book of James, 1 uh, Peter, other places. And God actually gives us uh, the reason. There are uh, two primary reasons why we experience a trial the first is for us that we might learn patience you know it wouldn't be nice if you could learn patience just from reading a book (laughs) but the only way you can learn patience long suffering perseverance endurance things like that is by enduring through hard times Uh, well the the second purpose of trials in our life is that god might be glorified And I've said this before, and we know this. It's one thing for us to go around as Christians, you know, when the sun is... Isn't it a beautiful day? You know, to go out on a day like this and say, praise the Lord, you know. I'm healthy, my bills are paid, I got a house, I got a car, I got a wife and three kids, you know. Uh, Life is good, God is good. Huh? But then the roof falls in. You see, that's the real test. And if I go out when the roof is falling in and say, you know, God is good. Now that speaks volumes, not about me, but about my God. You see, if I can say that when times are not going well, then he must be a very good God. And so really a trial gives us the opportunity to do that, to uh, proclaim the goodness and and the greatness and the love and the wisdom of God when from all circumstances it doesn't appear that way you see so we really know this more from the new testament uh, than the old testament although um, don and i were talking a, about a month ago there is a great insight in psalm 119 where the writer says it is good for me that i experienced adversity that i might learn your statutes. isn't that good it's good for me he says he recognized that, that it draws him nearer to God. So this, this third uh, situation where the righteous suffer, that's what the book of Job is all about because Job is in that category. He's undergoing a trial. We know that because God tells us in the opening part of the book. And so um, we're going to see really that the book, and we're only going to have two weeks to look at 42 chapters so we're not going to be able to look at a lot of the text. But the, if you know the book of Job, you know the vast majority of it is given over to uh speeches by Job and his comforters. I put that in quotes because they don't do a very good job of comforting. In fact, Job keeps telling them that. And so we have about 35 chapters of what God calls darkening counsel with words without understanding. Because they start going down the wrong path and stay there, you see. The comforters, it's interesting, they come with this preconceived notion that the reason Job is suffering is because somewhere, somehow, he sinned. And God is judging him for it. And they just go down that path now for the rest of the book. Well, that's wrong. It, and so 35 chapters are incorrect <laughs> okay you say well then why did god put it in in the bible god records every word spoken by the people sometimes to teach us what not to do and that's the case here and uh, even job fits in that category sometimes okay so i said i was going to answer the question why are we in job's after first kings actually we should have been in job months ago Um, The interesting thing about Job, there's no context, there's no king, there's no date given to us, but there are clues. One of the big ones, interestingly enough, is the lifespan of Job. It says after all this stuff is over that he lived another 140 years. So if he was, say, 40 to 60 when this stuff started, that would put him in about 200 years. The neat thing about uh, the ages in the Old Testament is you can start right around the time of adam and eve and we're not going to go into the canopy theory and everything but most possibly because of the ultraviolet rays being blocked by the covering of the uh water canopy people lived a lot longer about a thousand years and you can just watch it kind of exponentially decay the first guy to nod on that was andy goodwin that's a well-known curve uh as it goes down through genesis and it comes down to about 200 right about the time of abraham that's confirmed by something in job where job is offering sacrifices for his family in other words the patriarch here is the priest well again that's around the time of abraham and isaac and jacob if you go back and look at the ages abraham lived 180 years his father lived about 200 so you put that all together there's no mention of jerusalem the nation of israel or the law so we're pre-moses pre-joshua probably around the time of abraham okay um, secondly job is a real person by the way this is not some allegory uh, we know that because god refers to job as a man twice later in the bible in ezekiel listen to how he talks about job here the word of the lord came again to me saying son of man when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. What a comment, huh? What a eulogy. That's a pretty good company to be in, Daniel and Noah. And then later in James, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So Job's a real guy, which is all the more astounding when we see what happened to him. Uh, We could safely say... he may well have suffered uh, the worst catastrophe that a human being ever went through all in one day. Okay, uh, just a, a quick outline. The first two chapters are what are called the prologue. That's, it's a little bit of history. It's what leads up to uh, Job's trial. And then chapters 3 through 37 is that 35 chapters I talked about. The interesting thing about that section, I remember before I was a Christian, uh, they offered at uh, my college a class called The Bible is Literature. They do that often, not at seminaries, at, at secular colleges. You know, they'll study the Bible as literature. And do you know typically what the most studied books are? Ecclesiastes and Job. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, they have a lot of the opinions of people about life that are wrong isn't that interesting and they avoid books like john wouldn't that be great you know say the book of john up at berkeley in a class Uh, and so you have to be really careful if you're going to go try to find a doctrine don't look seriously obviously there's a lot of truth in those sections the problem is there's a lot of wrong stuff too it's all mixed up you see so be careful about using job particularly that section per doctrine well then chapters 38 through 41 the lord speaks and then the last chapter is the epilogue it's the conclusion of the whole story so uh like i said we're not going to be able to look at a lot of the text we're going to have to pick and choose what we look at because after all this is a character study and so we're going to uh, see if we can't pick up some things on some pointers on how to uh either for, for us to, to live in a trial or how to help someone or comfort someone who is in a trial. We can learn from both of those as we study uh, the book. Okay, so uh, back to chapter 1, verse 1. Picking up in verse 2, actually. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He had ten children. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys in a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning, and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be, that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts thus job did regularly okay uh first of all we notice in verse one that wonderful uh statement about job he's blameless and upright feared god and shunned evil now god says that wouldn't that be great to have that said about you wow um we know he's very wealthy i don't know many people who have thousands of camels and and yokes of uh, female donkeys or whatever but it sounds like a lot to me and it seems to be implied here that he was very well off now about this party issue this feasting i don't know god doesn't say uh good or bad about it but i'm kind of leery about it you know they have this seven-day party did you get that the the first son hosts the party they have a blast there. Then they go to the next son's house and then they continue it and it goes on for seven days. So we'll reserve judgment. But to me, it sounds like uh, there, there may be the possibility of something not very good going on here. Certainly, Job is concerned about it because um, he's worried about it being in that atmosphere, the sons letting something slip verbally and saying something bad about the Lord this shows we have little insights into job uh it's amazing how much we can learn about the man and here's one of them and so he is has such a tender conscience that after these parties have have run their course he goes out and offers an offering and it says for each one wow and now from the description of job in the book this is not uh you know meticulous law keeping this is because job is sensitive to the lord that's it. And he's concerned about the behavior of his children. Okay, um, next, we the scene moves from Job and his uh, family into heaven, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is a scene Job did not know about, nor his comforter. In fact, we wouldn't know about it unless God had told us. Uh, it's interesting, the, the skeptics read this, you know, and, and they criticize it all over the place. They talk about Satan's response to God here, for example. I'll tell you, to me, this sounds just like the devil. God says, where have you been? Now listen to this response. Uh, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. How much information is in that answer? zero you know what it sounds like i'm not going to pick on kids i was a kid once okay and i've done this parent where have you been son or daughter out (laughs) or around Uh uh-huh yeah tom right It sounds just like that. You know, it's in, intentionally an answer that tells you absolutely nothing. It's, it's Satan saying, I don't have to answer to you. You see, That's, it's the best he can do. It's, it's a, a sass. Notice also in this that it's the Lord who first mentions Job. He's the one that brings the subject up. Now, the Lord knows what the devil's going to do. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I like this, there's none like him on earth. What a a great statement about somebody. Now, Satan's criticism there, basically, what what did he say? He said, look, the reason uh, he's such a, a, a godly man and likes you so much is because you take such good care of him. You know? you stop that and this this is like the bet satan says you 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 stop all that and i'll bet you that he's going to curse you to your face that's the condition that's what job is hoping uh, could happen we can't help but think about this you know does this apply to us We can praise God when the sun is shining and uh, everything is wonderful. How do we do when the roof falls in? Really? Do we love God, as, as he says about his love for us, because we love God or because of what he does for us? That's really what Satan is saying. And if it's because of what he does for us, well, even sinners do that, as Jesus would say, you know that's not really much of a love so satan's putting the love of joe really for god on on the line here praise god god's love for us is independent of the object okay it's real love it's constant it's unchanging and it's intense in spite of our changeableness Praise God. God's love for me doesn't depend on how I treat him. He loves me with an everlasting love and he loves you that way. He can't love you more. He doesn't love you more one day and less the next. The love that took him to send his own son to the cross for you is the love that he loves you with right now. It doesn't change. So there's the bet. Satan says he's going to curse you to your face. It's important here, by the way, to notice that when God says uh, everything that he has is in your power, he says, but you can't touch him, him personally in the word sickness or, or something like that. In other words, God limits the trial, at least to begin with here. That tells us that there's nothing that comes into our life that has not first been checked by God. Isn't that comfort? Oh, man, praise God. Nothing can come into my life until God has first, first carefully checked it over and said, no, that's a little too much. Let's cut it down here. One of the first verses I learned as a believer, many of you probably know it, First Corinthians 10, 13. There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. You hear that? But will with the temptation also provide a way to, of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I know some of you are looking at me saying, wait a minute, that said temptation. Well, the word really means either trial or temptation. It means both. In the New Testament, there's one word that's used for both of those. And if you look at the context, he's talking about both. Either a trial or a temptation. He will not let either of them come into our lives if it's too big for us to handle that's a promise okay and so it is with job. job. god knew what job could take and you say well uh how can he do that i mean how does he know well first of all it says in that verse that in the case of a temptation he provides a way of escape i can think of a good illustration we heard about it not too long ago joseph god provided a way of escape for joseph you know what it was Remember when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, said, lie with me, do you, do you, know, yeah, you do know what the way it was? It was a door and two healthy legs. That's exactly right. And, and jo- Joseph availed himself of that. We say, well, what about a trial when it's, it just seems too hard to take? Well, it says that we'll, he, he makes sure that we can be able to bear it. First of all, he uh, sizes it, if you will, okay, one size does not fit all in this case for our individual ability to take it. And even then, uh, for example, in the case of Paul, when he prayed to have the thorn removed, he learned the lesson that God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So on top of it all, we happen to have his strength available to us. That's, that's pretty helpful, don't you think? So that's a promise. We can hang on to that. And it it makes sense, anyway, for all that we know about God. So that's a guarantee. So the point is, God did not permit anything to come into Job's life that he could not handle. And we're going to see that, by the way. The guy shines. Uh, I love, there's another confirmation about the fact that the devil, we can't, the devil can't get at us without first going through the Lord. Uh, There's an example of that in the New Testament, and it's Peter. Remember what Jesus said? He, he, Jesus tells Peter, he says, you know, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. Isn't that interesting? Satan knew he had to ask, you see. Okay. Well, brace yourself, because here it comes. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, so it's party time again. It's the first day of parties. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, we can read those words, but we just cannot comprehend what it would be like to be in this man's shoes to hear that. Can you imagine and look how the devil arranged it i mean you know it was in waves first there's some bad news there, there's the wind and then there was some worse news and then some really bad news and then finally i mean like i can't even describe the news at the end where all of his kids are dead you know and here are these four messages kind of you know queuing up against the wall after they've delivered uh their package of bad news well let's look at job's response this is this is incredible verse 20 then job arose tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and notice he worshiped and he said naked i came from my mother's womb and naked shall i return there the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord wow in all this job did not sin nor charge god with wrong well i I wish i could respond like this i don't know if i would you know by the way uh, we said earlier we know this this is what this is what god wants us to do in a test does this ever glorify god or what i mean not only is it the right thing to say he put it so eloquently he's right when he was born what condition was he in he owned nothing he didn't even have clothes on him he was naked and so okay i'm back where i started from god is good wow in fact instead of uh, satan said he would curse god what he says blessed be the name of the lord wow And I just, uh, I'm in awe at this. And of course, you know, this has been quoted for thousands of years since Job uttered the words, they're that remarkable. So, so far, Job is responding to this trial exactly the way God intends us all, to respond to trials that come in our lives. This is an example to follow. (laughs) Okay, well... Not surprisingly, the devil's not done. And uh, I'll just uh, summarize. We're not going to read all the rest of it here. But um, we have the same situation again. The devil goes before the Lord and the Lord reminds Satan that uh, Job really uh, passed the test. And so Satan doesn't give up. He says, look, that's because you didn't allow me to touch his body. And so God then opens the door for that and satan uh, satan uh covers him from head to foot with uh boils can you imagine that boy you ever had a boil you know when, when they get uh i'm sorry we use this word in our family we call it ripe you know when they're really just full it hurts doesn't it now can you imagine he had them from the the sole of his feet to his head from top to bottom his arms you know his legs his back he's in constant pain that's on top of all the other stuff and and the picture is a pot shirt it's a broken piece of pottery right here he is sitting in the ashes with this pot shirt it says scraping himself you know that's that's what job has been reduced to now you talk about a trial okay the only other thing that could happen would be that he died but do you know what that'd be great if he would have died be with the lord it's actually worse that he's kept alive and he says that by the way he longs for death he wants to die well so this happens and um by the way job's wife went through this too certainly the first part and she's a grieving woman um In fact, in verse 9, after this happens, after the boils, she gives him some counsel. She gives some advice to Job here, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And before you jump all over her, remember she's been through the same thing, okay? This is tough. But what's interesting to me is she suggests to job to do what the devil wants him to do well incredibly job is like gold in this whole first section here but he said to her you speak as one of the foolish women speaks listen to this here's another quotable quote shall we indeed accept good from god and shall we not accept adversity isn't that good isn't that right you know Look, uh, as long as God gives me good stuff, I'm happy. That's that's the way it should be. But Job says, wait a minute. Why should we not as well receive bad stuff from God? Whatever comes from him, since he's all wise, all powerful, and all loving, whatever it is, it's the right thing. That's what he's saying. What an insight, huh? This man knows God. I don't know if I'd be able to think this clearly. You know, in all of this, man, what an example. And so God closes this section again with these words in all this. Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. Okay. Uh, Now we meet three new characters. Verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, Each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days, and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great so far everything is going great you know I wish it would end right here but it doesn't but there's a lesson here for us we're talking about character traits Um, you know we've all been Through trials as believers if you've been a believer for any period of time you've been through a trial maybe you're going through one now and it's a part of being a christian going through a trial also it's part of being a christian to comfort those who are in trials by the way but uh sometimes it's hard to help someone when the trial is very hard and we think you know what do i say to them what can i say and sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we have to give them a sermon you know and we come prepared with a uh, 30 minute devotional when sometimes you know what the best thing to do is say nothing you know as believers if you don't know the lord you're not going to relate to this but if you know the lord jesus you know there's just something about having another brother or sister there with you isn't that right you know they've come they care they love you you know that you both love the lord and sometime when the trial is so great all that's needed is just to be there and show that you care maybe put your arm around them if if you do speak make it brief and just point them to the lord give them that upward look something from the psalms maybe but But sometimes it's best just to be quiet. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, it says in Proverbs. You know, and the more we talk, the more we're bound to get into trouble. Like uh Job's comforters. So I love this. They sat there with him seven days and seven nights. You know, just being there. And look, Job's not going to just suddenly jump up, Well, I feel great now, you know. He's he's gonna have a heavy heart. But I think during this time that was some comfort to him to have his three friends. Just being there, you know, and staying there with him while he grieved. Well, as I said, it doesn't stop there. Now, we're not going to be able to do a lot of reading in Job, but I I do want to read uh, chapter 3 because it's such a heart-rending chapter and you really see how Job feels. Job's going to pour his heart out here now and listen to where this guy's coming from. After seven days, it's like he, he can't take it anymore. It's starting to get to him, by the way. OK, you know, he's not a perfect man. He's going to say some things later that he probably shouldn't say. But here he just has to pour his heart out. So it says in chapter three, verse one, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Notice he cursed. He didn't curse God. But he did curse the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none, and not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow. From my eyes? Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child? Like infants who never saw light. There the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there. And the servant is free from his master. Now as he, he's really thinking about how wonderful it would be to be dead. Free, you see. All of his troubles would be gone. And so as he begins to, as he goes on those lines now, he really begins to savor the idea of just, I just want to be dead. And that's how he's going to end it. Why, here's, by the way, why, why, why? That's going to be uh, the repetition now throughout the conversations. Why? Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come? and search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease Nor am I quiet; I have no rest, for trouble comes. Wow, makes you want to cry. He's aching; Job is aching with misery and sorrow. He just wants to die. Death would be freedom from all of his suffering; it would all stop. And in you can see the longing uh, that he he uh, describes death with. Here he says, "In the end, wait." Basically, what he says is, "My worst fears have come true." My, my worst nightmare is a reality imagine the worst thing you could think happening to yourself and then it happens that's what job is saying he says he has no rest uh, he can't eat he can't sleep no quiet of soul he's constantly reminded of his of his sorrows and his troubles his trouble his agony are constant no let up if he thinks about his his life he thinks of his children the memories his goods his possessions they're all gone the future pain constant pain no reason for living except one small one god's keeping him alive and as long as god gives him breath then it's god's will for him to live and i think job knows that now the kicker here is going to be that um the comforters have heard job speak and they're going to take issue with what he said Uh, one of the phrases that he says particularly galls them and it's uh, verse 23 why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom god has hedged in they they think that he is intimating that uh god is unfair later he's going to say that and so they're going to jump all over that but now you know it's not hard to understand what job is saying he's saying i'm trapped i feel trapped By my suffering i can't get away from it it would be great to go somewhere you know like you leave a building and you go over there i'd like to be able to go away but i can't i'm hedged in and this is one of the problems with the comforters they they really don't listen by the way which is a lesson for us it sounds like a simple thing to learn in life to listen to people doesn't it you know too often we don't we really don't listen to what people are saying Sometimes it's because we're not interested. Sometimes it's because we're more interested in what we're about to say. That's certainly the case with Job's comforters. If ever a man needed to be listened to and helped, it was Job. But you're going to see over and over again they just don't get it. They don't. They're not listening. The other problem is going to that's going to be with the comforters is they come with the preconceived notion. Look, think about it. They've seen. They've known Job. They've known his prosperity. All of a sudden, look, this is not a coincidence. He loses all of his possessions, his servants, all of his kids die, you know, on the same day. That's not a coincidence. It must be. There's a secret life of Job that we don't know about. There's some great hidden sin, okay? And they come with that idea and they don't let go of it. And they spend the time trying to convince job look look around somewhere there's a sin that you've got to account for and they waste all that time not only not comforting job up here not comforting job but making a situation worse so uh but this picture of being trapped by the way when i when i read that you know somebody else spoke a lot like that it was jeremiah in the book of lamentations listen to this And and by the way, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. He was in a similar situation. The guy was just crying his eyes out over the judgment of Israel and Jerusalem in particular. Listen to what Jeremiah said, talking about God. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. Just like like job you ever been there when your your troubles are so great you just can't get away from them that's all you see it's all you can think about that's the picture here okay well i need some relief from this i don't know about you but first of all let me say if you don't know the lord jesus this is a picture of hell you're trapped you're suffering you're weeping the problem there is it's never going to end But uh, if you know Lord Jesus Christ, listen, this is for you. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away that's true that is a real thing that's going to happen and that's not going to end let me repeat it God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death no more no more sorrow no more crying and no more pain won't that be great praise god and when you think about that it's no wonder that paul says elsewhere this momentary light affliction is not to be compared with the weight of glory that's to follow Okay, well, as I said, the comforters feel obligated now to speak up and uh, help Job. We're not going to be able to look at, at uh, all of the stuff they say. We're just going to touch on some highlights. Eliphaz is the first one to speak up, chapter 4. Uh, each of them has a little introduction every time they speak, and the introduction is basically this. Look, I've got to say something here. That's basically what it is. And here's here's where he really gets to the gist of what he's been dying to say, verse 7. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent. Whoa. Now, first of all, you know what he's saying here. He's saying, look, Job, if you're suffering, well, since the innocent don't ever go through this, you must not be innocent. You you understand? Is that a correct statement? Huh? Is this good theology? Whoever perished being innocent? If you're innocent, does that mean you don't ever perish or die or anything? You don't suffer? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Whoa. Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, by the blast of God they perish, and so on and so on for a couple of chapters. Okay? This guy's off on the wrong foot right at the outset because his assumption is it, look, if you're, if you're a righteous man, you don't suffer. And if you're suffering, it's because you're not righteous. Poor Job. And as we said before, it's, it's not right. Um, okay, well, we're getting late here. There's so much I wanted to read to you. We're just going to have to skip it. But uh, look, after Eliphaz gets done, done is what's really sad here is Job has got three guys comforting him it would be bad enough if it was one but because there's three every time one of them gets done the poor guy's hurting and he's got to respond and no sooner does he answer that guy than the next one takes over you know and throws in a bunch of gibberish and so joe has to respond to him and so it's a round robin you know eliphaz joe bildaz bildad job zophar job and back again and so first job tries to respond to eliphaz here in chapter six and just listen, because they're not listening to poor Job, chapter 6. Just a few verses. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Wow. He's 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 saying, I'm hurting, guys. You're not helping. You know? Uh, look at verse 14. He's trying to instruct, isn't this set? The, the guy that's hurting is trying to instruct them on how to comfort. Verse 14. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty, he says, Look, maybe I did say some things that were wrong, but please understand, you're not where I'm at. I'm in bad shape, okay? I want some kindness right here. But they're not listening. Um, verse uh, chapter 7 verse 20 Job does this several times we're reading this because it's going to become important at the end of the book Job directly questions God now he doesn't do it blasphemously he's a guy that's hurting and he wants wants answers that's the point but you see what's going to happen is later God's going to turn around and say okay you've been questioning me it's my turn to question you now but we're not there yet so this is an example of it job is speaking to god and he says have i sinned he and he he, really he hasn't and he knows that he knows he's not sinless but he knows he hasn't done something to deserve all of this stuff there has to be another reason and he wants an answer because his his uh, accusers really not his comforters keep insisting on that and he wants god to intervene you know and clear clear his name have i sinned what have i done to you O watcher of men why have you set me as your target so that i am a burden to myself so they're going to jump all over this now because they're saying look god is not unjust and since you're suffering you had to have done something wrong you getting the idea i'm saving you the trouble of reading 35 chapters but i'll tell you if you want to read uh sometimes some great insights read it but also often what not to do okay well the next guy to chime in is bildad and there is a difference between the three guys bildad is a rough guy he's not very tactful uh eliphaz at least you know he kind of uses the sandwich method you know with uh the the bread of uh the introduction before and at least a very nice conclusion with the hard stuff in the middle. But uh Bildad just gets right with it here. Verse 1. Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? He's talking to Job. Does God subvert job, judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he's cast them away for their transgression. In other words, look, they sinned, they're dead, that's the way it should be. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. In other words, he just heard him call out to God, you see. Have I sinned? And there wasn't any answer. And Bill, Dad, is saying, see? God didn't answer you because you're not pure. There's a sin somewhere lurking, Job. And you need to find it. Poor Job. Uh, Chapter 10. Just the beginning, poor Job, my soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now he says, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I, I'm just going to speak what I have on my heart and let it come out. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Wow. Wow he's talking to god here okay and he's rebuking god because unfortunately job is forced to uh come to the conclusion with his uh his uh comforters that god only uh, does this kind of stuff when there's sin and job says but there's no sin here so why are you doing this it's wrong uh we've had a sample of each the zophar and then we'll be done with the comforters here chapter 11 again notice the typical uh, i've got to speak here you know the, i i can't be quiet while you're doing all of this Cha- uh, verse 2 of chapter 11 should not the multitude of words be answered and should a man full of talk be vindicated should your empty talk make men hold their peace and when you mock should no one rebuke you for you have said my doctrine is pure and i am clean in your eyes but oh that god would speak and open his lips against you wow okay uh that's that's all we're going to be able to read as far as the comforters go but you get the idea you can imagine how poor job is feeling after all of this there's no comfort and he says it all over the place uh i have to at least read this incredible uh moment of insight God, uh, job gets as he's uh speaking in defense you know it well chapter 19 listen to this this sounds like something out of the new testament in the epistles of paul he begins in verse 21 have pity on me have pity on me O you my friends he's pleading with them again for the hand of god has struck me why do you persecute me as god does and are not satisfied with my flesh oh that my words were written oh that they were inscribed in a book that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Little did Job know that his words were inscribed in a book. And listen to the words that were inscribed. Verse 23. Oh, pardon me, verse uh, 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Wow. you got to frame that with gold. We don't have time to go into all the New Testament doctrines that are buried in that Old Testament verse. From the resurrection to the second coming, the bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't understand all that, but uh, there's only one person that fits that. It's wonderful. Okay, well, we're we're running late. I still had a lot of quotes, and I knew this would happen. Um, It just goes on and on like this. We need to learn from the comforters because, like I said, as believers, we're called on to endure trials, but we're also uh, called on... Remember the one and others we talked about a few weeks ago? One of them is comfort one another. There's a wonderful section in 2 in Corinthians right at the beginning. It says that we are able to comfort each other with the comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. It, so particularly, if you've ever been comforted by God, you're now in a position to use that to help others. So really, we learn from the comforters how not to do it. Learn to listen. Don't be anxious to fill the air with words. Sometimes just being there. Is, is all that's needed just be there and show that you care say brother sister i say it honestly i don't know why this is happening but i do know this god is good i know god loves you i know he is faithful i know he is all wise and i know he has all power so next week there's going to be a fifth friend that's going to speak to Job and he's going to do it right. God help us to do it that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and as we think of the example of Job, particularly at the beginning of his trial, Lord, we just uh, we're awed, really, at the response of this man and in the, in the heavy trial that he went through. The, the words he uttered now have echoed down through the centuries. Naked I came from the womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. O Lord, help us to respond that way. When you bring trials, he was right when he said, shall we receive good from the Lord and not adversity? If it came from your hand, then it's good. And may we, your people, demonstrate that when the times are rough as well as when the times are good and declare no matter what the circumstances, our God is a good God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.